So, do you have doubts, hurts, or questions about your faith that don't seem to have answers? These experiences can lead us, or those we love, to begin to reconsider if Christianity is actually true, also known as deconstruction. Delaney, Bev, and Ashley are going to help us look at why the Bible remains the only source of truth and how it can sustain us in every season. So, take it away. Sisters, welcome to a live recording of She Is Becoming podcast. We are Grace Church Women's Ministries multi-generational podcast that studies God's word together and is dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. I am your co-host, Delaney. I am here with my co-host, Bev. And with us today is a special guest, Ashley Kinsel. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Yeah, Good to be back a, again. It's such an honor to serve with you women and to be at Gather this weekend. I love it. There's nothing quite like it. Yeah. There's nothing quite like it. It's a privilege to be here, isn't it? It's a privilege. And so many have worked so hard to make this happen. Mm-hmm. So we're the recipients. Aren't you thankful? Yeah. 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 Well, when you read the word deconstruction, I wonder if you were a lot like some of the people I mentioned that word to. I mentioned it to my prayer group. There's six of us, and we've been meeting together for over 30 years. Every Tuesday morning, we're at prayer group. You either have to be dead or traveling not to attend. And now with Zoom, you still have to attend. Um, But I said, yeah, this was my topic for Gather Breakout was going to be on deconstruction. And what did I get back? Blank faces, like, what's that? Hmm. Now, these women are in their 60s and 70s. They had no clue what it was. Then I asked my husband, I said, I'm going to be speaking on deconstruction. Same face. What? Then I talked to my 45-year-old daughter, and I said, I'm going to be speaking on deconstruction. Same face. Really? What is that? Is that a construction term, like in building something? Or (laughs) what are we talking about here when we say deconstruction? And I think there's a lot of mystery to it, and there's a lot of different definitions to it as well. So today we're going to try to clear up some of that. Uh, wondering about it. Um, Some of you may be painfully aware of what it is. Others of you might but just be curious. Others of you want to make sure this doesn't happen to you or anyone you love, especially moms. Mm -hmm. Our heart. My daughter, when she heard what it was about, she said, who wouldn't want to hear that? Our kids. I just, I never want my kids to say I don't want that, ever. So, welcome. And let me start off by just giving a few definitions of that I've read about what deconstruction is really all about. Um, Deconstruction is, now I'm quoting, deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way to atheism. So there are, there's degrees of this deconstruction. Some people go deep into it and end up not believing for the rest of their life. Other people go into it in order to heal what is broken or what their doubts are. Mm -hmm. Some remain in that atheistic state, true. Others experience what's called reconstruction, and this would be the building back up of your faith. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles what they had believed before, Mm -hmm. um, what they formerly knew. And if I was to put it in my words, I would say it's a crisis or slow dissolving of the Christian faith, deconstruction. Now, there are so many causes, and we're going to get into a lot of them here today. We're going to talk about those in a minute. Um, This is an obviously important topic. What's more important, if you love Christ, what's more important than helping others 
or making sure you stay in the faith. Um, it's a trend in culture. We have to be aware of what's really going on. Deconstruction fits perfectly in with our theme about the church. We are the church. And so a lot of people are starting to reject the idea of the formal church, and that can be big C church, Christian believers around the world for all time. It can be little C church, your particular denomination or local church. We will become more in love with the church, but first we, we want to become more in love with the church, but first we need to become aware of what might be taking people away from the church. Many of you have seen your friends who you grew up with no longer walking with the Lord. I know Delaney has mentioned yeah. that to me, and it just it's a stab in my heart to think about that. Um, maybe you have a, a prodigal, a child that has walked away from the faith or is just indifferent, gone away to higher education, and they've been higher educated away from their faith. Hmm. It happens. We want to understand why this happens, happens as a church and as a devoted follower of Christ. We want to know how we can be used of God to help people who are in this struggle with deconstruction. We want to know how to raise our children to help prevent deconstruction. Now, there's an important distinction that we need to uh, make right at the beginning. Many people have questions about their faith. Many people have doubts. That's, that's part of having faith, are those two things. Um, that person is more likely disentangling. Do you hear that word? That's been used when talking about this topic. Disentangling their doubts and their untruths from what is really core gospel biblical truth. Yeah. Because what happens is those barnacles get attached to our faith, and at some point in our faith, it's not sustainable anymore, and we've got to get some of those little fish that come along and clean off the things off the one of those cleaner fishes. Yeah. We, it's, yeah. it's kind of a process of that cleaning <laughs> off the, 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 the barnacles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got it. Somebody knows the word, I'm sure correct. of it here. Yeah. Um, so well, that's a disentangling. Well, and I love that you brought that up too, because what we're describing is a difference in how you ask questions and how you figure out what is a truth from a lie. And deconstruction, I would say, is using something that is not God's word to try to figure that out. Where disentangling is having God's word as your authority and trying to distinguish and using the word, studying the word, being like Bereans in the word to figure out what is actually true and what needs to be discarded. Mm -hmm. Well said. While the word deconstruction might be new in its use this way, the idea behind it, what it really is, is not new at all. And Delaney in, in a little bit here will go into some of the history of that. Um, it really is... I like to look at it like this from Matthew 24, when Jesus said, because lawlessness, lawlessness will be increased. Are we seeing lawlessness increase? Mm. The love of many will grow cold, but one who follows to the end will be saved. How do we know if someone's saved? Continuance. Continuance. Or they'll come back. Continuance. That's how we know, and by their fruit. Jesus also told another parable of the four different types of soils. And sometimes the word is planted in these different soils and they respond differently. And we will go into that as well. So you can look forward to that. Um, also, in, um, we want to remember that this is a warning for anyone who claims a profession of faith. The Apostle Paul speaks of it happening in the very early days of the church as well. It is not new. 
In fact, in 1 John 2, 19, the Apostle John writes, and in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So they were never really there in the first place. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. True faith, even though going through a crisis like deconstruction, can return, and those that deny the faith to the end prove themselves as not having been redeemed. How do we rebuild this? It is a process. Um, think about this picture in your mind, if you would. A dad, he's a dad, he's got a, a, a one-year-old and they're expecting their second baby and now the crib has to be given up to the second baby coming. So the dad goes in the room, he tries to push it through the door. You know what happens, it doesn't fit, right? Mm -hmm. So he goes and he's, he's looking it over thinking how he's going to take it apart and he realizes the tools that came with the crib, he discarded. Now he's in a real dilemma, so he starts working, 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 trying to get it out. He gets so frustrated, he has a picture in his mind of taking this big sledgehammer and doing a construction day, a deconstruction on it, tearing it to shreds to get it through the door. And that can kind of be a picture of us. Sometimes we can get frustrated, or people we love can get frustrated with the faith if their questions aren't answers for a variety of reasons, and we have a lot of that to explore. Um, but that's what they want to do. They just want to smash it all and walk away. Yeah. Rather than to go through the hard work, it's hard work, to resolve some of these issues that's going on. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's so worth it. It's the greatest work in the world, is coming to know Christ. Yeah. It's the greatest in the world. Well, and if you're in that place, that's what we would encourage you to do, is to put the hammer down. Go through each lie, each truth that you believe or maybe that you're not sure about. And just like the dad rebuilt that crib piece by piece, you can rebuild your faith, your faith piece by piece, but you just have to be slow, put the hammer down, and do it the right way. Right. Yeah. You can't be reckless with this. Yeah. This is the most important thing for eternity. And if you're reckless like that and just want to walk away, that's really not, um, you know, being um, intellectually have intellectual in integrity. Hmm. Because if you really have intellectual integrity, you're going to take your doubts, your questions, you're going to take them to the Lord, you're going to get in the Bible, you're going to read books, you're going to go to people, you're going to do the things that nurture your faith. Mm -hmm. If you have that kind of intellectual integrity. Well, we've talked a lot about this. Um, 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for, godly, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So God is saying here, I've given you everything you need for the faith. He has. It's there for your taking. So he has given us the tools, and those tools will answer those doubts and questions when people find themselves in this situation. So Ashley, what would you add to that? Well, I want to ask, first of all, um, how many of you are here because you don't know what deconstruction is and you've come to learn more? Would you just put a hand up for me? Okay. And how many of you are here because this has intimately affected you or someone you love and you're, you're trying to work it out? So for, for our audience who's listening to this podcast, the majority of you, you've been intimately um, impacted by this. Um, I have two. Uh, first of all, I grew up in... Um, a Christian home that was Christian in name only. Um, 
a lot of hypocrisy that led to a lot of questions for me uh, that didn't come up until the heat got turned up in my life. Um, for many of you, if it's something that you're intimately dealing with, I, I can almost guarantee there is a pain point that made you go, I'm not sure this is true anymore. Because what I believe doesn't seem to have a response to the deep grief that I'm experiencing right now or the deep questions that I'm, I'm wrestling with. Um, and so for me as a, a mom, it's been a quest of, all right, my story is my story and, and the Lord is, is still working on those experiences and questions in my own heart and, and keeping me grafted into him in that process. But what do I do for my children? What, what's going on in the teaching and, and training of children where we're seeing this next generation leaving the church in just staggering, staggering numbers? And so I want to read this to you. This comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Um, will be very familiar to most of you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We're all pretty familiar with that. Um, but let's look at it literally as, as God intends it to be in this passage. What does it look like to be intentionally teaching our children and those that God has given to us, whether we are a single woman or in a different stage of life, maybe grandparenting, what does it look like to teach children the word of God? And I'm going to tell you, I think I have a little bit of a controversial view, but it's okay. We're all friends. We're going to bear through it together. Um, <laughs> we're in Genesis right now as a church. Have you read it? Like, it's super intense. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have a guy saying his wife is his sister, and God only knows what happens there. We've got people having babies out of wedlock. We've got rape. We've got all kinds of topics that you would probably never enter into with your children, right? Because ultimately, we, we, want, we want to teach our children things in ways that they can understand, age appropriateness. We want to protect their innocence. But one of the things that I want to submit to you is that the Bible is not in competition with your child's innocence. God has told us that this word is important for them to know and to understand, that we're to literally be talking about it all the time. And so for many of my friends, because this has intimately affected my faith, my husband's faith, and the faith of, of many of our friends who have now walked away from the church, often I hear them asking questions that is like Bible basics. There's, there's an answer to their question. But what's been bequeathed to them in, in their childhood home is a series of stories that have been expunged of all the parts that we think are just too controversial. Mm -hmm. And what we've done is we've given our children a, a, a false god. We've given them a false God. We've said, you can't understand this. This is too hard for you, or this is going to hurt you or harm you somehow. But one of the things that God desperately wants us to understand is our condition without him. Mm -hmm. He wants us to understand the seriousness of sin and the depravity of man, because we will never, ever, ever see how beautiful Jesus is and how he is our only hope if we never have a right view of our sin. Yeah. 
And so the, the children of Israel are, are raising their children in the oral tradition, telling them everything. They are, they are growing up in the sacrificial system. They are seeing the cost and the weight of sin with the blood sacrifice of animals. This is not something that's kept from them. It's in front of them 24-7. And I know for me, early in my years as a mom, I just wanted everything to be magical. Yeah. I want you to have the best birthday party. I want you to have the best life experience possible. I don't want any of the hard stuff. And then the hard stuff comes for you and you realize, oh, I don't even know how to preach this truth to myself. Yeah. How am I going to preach that to my children? Well, it does a disservice to our children because then when suffering does come, what theology have you taught them about how to suffer? One million percent. And, and I'll give you a prime example. So my kids, we went through Genesis as a family a year ago, every word. And I'm telling you, if you haven't read every word, that is a challenge. I had many a day where I'm like, gotquestions.org or Justin, call me, 911. <laughs> Urgent. I don't know what Please. to do with lot. Um, it was brutal. And it stretched me because I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I need to know. I need to know what I think about this. So we went through Genesis, and now the kids are now going through it here at church, and, um, and we've watched The Prince of Egypt many times because it's amazing. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, but we watched it again the other night as a family, and, and I'm sitting next to my 10-year-old, Nora, and, uh, and she's, she doesn't share her feelings very often. She's usually just the fun one in the group, and I look over at her, and she's crying. She goes, I just, I, I don't like that God let the firstborn of Egypt die. I just don't understand, like, mm. if God really loves people, why he would allow that to happen. How many of you hear me say that and you're like, I kind of don't know either. I, I can give you the answer, but I don't like it. I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I don't know how to sit with it and, and wrestle through it. It was this beautiful moment with my daughter where I'm like, okay, I don't have to lead in fear. I don't have to convince her, like, uh, uh, well, you know, everything that God does is right and that's just what you need to believe. I can sit there with her and go, I don't, I don't get it either. I don't like it. I don't always understand it. But I do know that he is creator and I'm the created. And that means everything he does is good. And I, I'm going to ask him to help me to understand. And I'm also going to recognize that, that part of God's justice means there are consequences for sin. And this is a people that murdered their children mercilessly. And God is merciful because he warns them several times, fear me, fear me, fear me, or this will happen. We can't be afraid to wrestle with those questions for ourselves. If we are, we will never wrestle through them with our children. And then they're going to encounter someone who has a more convincing answer, not because it's true, but because it's, it plucks their feelings. And don't we love to just sit in our feelings? Yeah, well, and you're teaching them really a theology of answers. I feel like we live mm. in a time where the pendulum swings where we think we can't know anything or it swings the other way and we think we can know everything. Right. And God has revealed a lot of these answers in his word and things are knowable. Yes. But there does come a point where there are mysteries that we might not be able to totally fully grasp because we're finite. Right. And so grappling with both of those things and living in a healthy medium and not being on either end of that pendulum, I think is also what we need to teach our children 100%. about how do we know, how, how do we ask questions? Like, can we know answers? Yeah. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Mm -hmm. He didn't know what that looked like. And so there are questions that have answers and there is great blessing in walking in faith. And, and you know what? 
it doesn't take a ton of effort when you know that the questions you're asking have great answers too. Mm -hmm. And that there's a, there's a place you can go to find the answer. 100%. Like that's something that we teach in women's Bible study is, hey, I might not know this answer, but I know where to go. And teaching that too, like there are resources, there are people you can ask, you have a church who will help you figure out the answer, but also, yeah, just living in the reality that some things we might not know, and that's okay, that's where we need to trust the Lord. And I think in any home, we need to have an atmosphere where it's okay to question. A hundred percent. If if the parents are very fear-based and reject that and are afraid of that, um, the children are not going to ask questions. Or if they've asked and they've been attacked for any kind of doubt or questioning of God, you know, then that, that, that's going to zip their lips and they're going to go on with these questions and they're not going to get answered. Um, so your home needs to be a shelter, a safe place for asking those hard questions. Yes. And um, I think it is good that you, you help them, well, here's what we do when we come to a passage of scripture that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Number one, we remember who God is. Yeah. Number two, we remember that the Bible explains itself, and so we need to go deeper into the Word. It's not reject the Word because we don't know the answer. And another thing we have to remember is what is the historic teachings of the church mm-hmm. with these questions? Uh, we don't just look for new answers for today. There's historic answers. There are answers to all these questions. Yes, there's some mystery, but honestly, when I was doing all that teaching all those years ago for so long, and I would come to a passage and I would be clueless. And I would always know it's me that doesn't understand. This doesn't mean God is anything less or that he, um, he is like awful when I read that he isn't awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's, my, it's on my end. The misunderstanding, the doubts, the criticism is on my end. I need to do, take steps in order to dispel that. And just so you know, deconstruction is solely about questions. In deconstruction, you never arrive at an answer. It is an idolizing of the journey. There is no destination. Um, Curiosity is good. Objective truth, they would say, is fundamentalist. Um, Everything is about anti-permanence. Dogma is bad. And so deconstruction is the far end of the pendulum where nothing is knowable. It's all about the journey, and it's all about our experiences. Delaney, I know you're in school now, and you're spending a lot of time on church history. Kind of a nerd there, dear. Just a little you bit. You know, thank you. Yeah. I, I take that as a huge thing. I know she does. Yeah. I know she does. I feel she you. she loves a good book, and she loves to study. So tell us, uh, kind of in a nutshell here, what you've learned about church history as it relates to deconstruction, and, and who even cares? Right? Yeah, I, I think that church, learning church history and knowing church history is crucial for understanding deconstruction and how to engage with it. Um, Deconstruction really does not like church history, and here's why. Um, The creator or the founding father of deconstruction, who is Jacques Derrida, I think I'm saying his name right, he created this postmodern theory with a huge emphasis on biological evolution that human beings can construct their own source of meaning. And because of this huge biological evolutionary um, view, whoever is the newest generation, that generation's human psyche is the psyche that's on top. Mm -hmm. So that means that whatever generation is the newest, they get to pick what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is evil, what is true. This is very bad news for me. Oh yeah, (laughs) oh yeah. 
we're not doing you any favors. At 70, that's very <laughs> yeah. bad news. Oh, yeah. The logical <laughs> inconsistencies are vast. But um, this is a huge problem. And, and part of deconstruction is that they say that it's absurd to look in the past and read what other people have wrote and learn and see the experiences that other people have been through because it doesn't matter anyway. If our human psyche is the one at the top of the biological evolutionary food chain, who cares what people said in the past? And so I think as a part of this conversation, we want to talk about why um, this reasoning is a problem and why we really need church history in the age of deconstruction. And I would say that the first reason that we need church history in this age of deconstruction is because Christianity is a historical faith. Our faith is based off of what Christ did on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And our Bible is a historical book that recounts Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You subtract the historicity from Christianity, and we do not have a faith. Many of those who have deconstructed that end up going into progressive Christianity, they really deny the historicity of Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's a huge thing that they will totally um, diminish, diminish. And I want to read a quote that I heard someone say that said, um, the resurrection doesn't have to be real for it to be true. It doesn't have to be nonsense. real for it to be true. It's not, that's nonsense. But think about like what that means then. Our whole Christian faith hinges on the fact that Jesus was a physical person who died a physical death and had a physical resurrection. Yeah, Paul says if there's no resurrection, we are of, of all men to most pitied. pitied. Yeah. yeah. And so for generations, there has been this undergirding of sound biblical doctrine that has been represented by church history. And this is under attack. And so this is a big deal because Christianity is a historical faith. Second reason I think that church history is just so important for this conversation is that um, church history shows us that we are not alone. There is a quote that I really love that says, we are a leaf that doesn't know it's a part of a tree. Sometimes I think in our church we can think that maybe I'm, I'm isolated or I'm the only one. But church history shows us that we are not the first person who has questioned this question. We are not the first person who has wrestled with this hard teaching from God's word. Um, we are not the first person who has endured hard things. And so we need church history and we need to look back and be encouraged by those who have gone before us who have wrestled and who have come back with a more robust faith. Like somebody like Martin Luther in the 1400s, Roman Catholic, monk, Roman Catholic monk Martin Luther went through this disentangling where he was like, the things I'm being taught are not totally what I'm seeing in God's word. Mm -hmm. And he actually got rid of those, those viewpoints and he came back with a more robust faith. The third reason I think church history is just so important in this age of deconstruction is that church history helps us endure. Um, church history provides models for people who have persecuted, who've been persecuted, for people who have suffered. Um, people like Perpetua and Catherine Parr and Samuel Rutherford and Jim Elliott and John Owen, who lost 11 out of 12 of his children and his life and still proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And people um, in church history who have faced heresy and false teaching, and they stayed true to God's word. Where culture says to depart from the truth of God's word, church history says to remain. 
And we need to look back at these people and see the way that they handled all of this false teaching because that's what deconstruction is. It is a false gospel. And just the final thought I have about why church history is just so important to this conversation is because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell have looked differently over the centuries. Um, For Augustine and Tertullian, the gates of hell could have looked like Arianism. Mm -hmm. For Augustine and Ignatius, the gates of hell could have looked like Gnosticism. For Martin Luther, the gates of hell could have looked like the Roman Catholicism of the day. The gates of hell can look like New Ageism. It can look like postmodernism. It can look like agnosticism. It can look like atheism, and the list goes on. And And also, the gates of hell can look like deconstruction. But we have hope in this conversation. Why? Mm -hmm. Because God has promised us in his word that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against deconstruction. And so church history just testifies, not that church history is the answer, but that Christ is. And we have models that we can look back and we can have hope that Mm -hmm. hell has not prevailed against the church for thousands and thousands of years and it will not now. We're on a great foundation. Mm -hmm. This is not a new idea that's going to come and go. Yeah. We are solid in the foundation that our church and the church fathers ahead of us, behind us, have, have laid. Yeah. We're a part of that. Yeah. Right. Something really much bigger, deeper, older than we'll ever be. You and, know? And you We're a part see of that. that. The, you know, the deconstruction movement promises enlightenment, but what you see in, in church history, you know, while, while time is linear and progressing, it's really doing this yeah. over and over. It right? is. The, the, yep. the church is persecuted and so then it multiplies, and as it multiplies, false converts multiply, and then it's persecuted. And, and we just continue to do that as we see that God is protecting his remnant throughout history. He's protecting his gospel. And so when we see these things happen, we don't have to go, oh my gosh, how are we going to overcome deconstruction? Yeah, yeah. We will. That, that's the answer. Mm-hmm. We will. And the church will multiply as a result. Yeah. Well, we want to get into some of the issues and just some of these categories and uh, about deconstruction. And I think... One of the key differences with this type of heresy, the heresy of deconstruction, is that you can look back on history and um, things like Gnosticism and Arianism, they did not use Christian language to try to persuade people. They did not use Christian language to explain their viewpoint. And in deconstruction, that's a lot of the times what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about that, Ashley, and then let's just get into some of these issues here. Yeah, when we talk about um, deconstruction, borrowing from Christianity, when I talk about deconstruction, I mostly talk about it in the context of progressive Christianity, which we'll talk about a little bit later in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Because progressive Christianity in many ways is the first point of entry because you don't have to discard the entire Christian faith to begin the deconstruction process that ultimately leads to an abandonment of yeah, the faith. it's a step on the way out, they Absolutely. say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, one, of the, one of the things, for example, the word holy, um, there is a progressive Methodist female pastor, her name is Nadia Boltzweber, and in her book she writes how holiness um, is, is not a reflection that... that God is the fullness of all perfection and, and his righteous character and is set apart from his creation. It's, it's actually connection. And so two gay men having a one-night stand, that's holy. Mm. This is what is being taught and bought wholesale in the deconstruction movement and in progressive the Christianity. The words mean totally different things. Uh, uh, one million percent. And who, 
who doesn't want that kind of holiness when your heart is set on its own feelings, its own desires, right? If I'm, if I'm dealing with sexual sin and you tell me I can have it and it's holy, well, sign me up wholesale. That's yeah. great. I don't have to change. Well, Rosaria Butterfield calls it same vocabulary, different uh, dictionary. For sure. And that's the way that I like to think about yeah. it. Is it's the same word. We're not talking about the same thing. No. So let's get into, I know that some of the, the whys for deconstruction are just so important. So can you just talk, um, Ashley, just about this first category that we have that is the category of pain? Yeah, this, this is uh, <laughs> so intimate for, for me. Um, I, I, I'm originally from the Bahamas, and so I, I grew up predominantly under the prosperity gospel. Um, if you and I have ever had a conversation longer than an hour, I have probably encouraged you to watch American Gospel. It's a brilliant documentary that talks about the prosperity gospel and how truly dangerous it is, um, the theological conclusions it, it brings us to, and, and how those leave us with nothing to stand on when we encounter pain and suffering and hurt. And so for me, uh, I probably would have sat in a circle and confessed sound theology to you, but functionally, I was living a Christianity that was very transactional. Okay, God, I am a good girl, and you yeah. be a good God back. Um, and all of that changed for me when in 2014, my husband was pushed out of his job. We lost our home. Our daughter was dealing with tremendous health issues that we didn't have answers for. My mother-in-law was battling breast cancer. Um, we were threatened with a lawsuit. Um, my father-in-law's business was being threatened with a lawsuit. We were all living together, in pain together, and I was pregnant. So it was a real good time. Huh. Um, and uh, I remember this really came to a head a couple years later when that same daughter almost died. And I, I, can, I can remember sitting in the recliner by her bed, and I, I'm listening to Lord of Hosts. Like, you're, you're the Lord of Hosts, the God of angel armies. There's nothing too hard for you. And I'm sitting here going, if, if you take her, I don't know, I don't know where we stand anymore. This is, this is, this is all that matters to me. And I, I, don't, I don't know if, if, if I'm in anymore if you let my daughter die. I'd already walked my best friend through that unimaginable grief, and so it was very intimate to me uh, what that would look like. And I realized in that moment, like, first of all, I'm, I'm threatening the God of the universe, so I need to have some humility. Um, second, uh, I had no theology of suffering. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had no understanding of what does God believe about me when I'm hurting? What's true of him when I'm in pain? Does he care? Does he actually listen to my prayers? Should I even, I mean, can I even uh, affect his will by praying earnestly in faith? Um, what do I believe about heaven? Do I actually want to go there? Or am I so caught up in this life right here with my children that I couldn't care less? And when I thought about that being the only place where I might be able to see my daughter if she didn't make it, I suddenly had to sure up my theology. Yeah. Uh, but I find for people that I talk to, this is the most common point of entry either intimate pain and suffering, like losing a child or a health diagnosis um, or a church hurt. Um, and I'm not talking about like, I got into a squabble with my friend. Like we, we have to be honest, there are some really terrible things that happen. Abusive. Abusive things that happen in the church. Some of those things I've, I've been a recipient of where I'm like, I, I, I can't even believe that I'm sitting in a situation where 
my entire identity has been attacked and we would like for you to sign this non-disclosure so you never ever can talk to anybody about it and you have to sign it because you need the money. You know, those are things that make you go, God, if these are your kids, then I want out of the family. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it, it, it goes so far beyond what Debbie talked about, where it's, you know, I, I love your husband, but I don't love you. You start to question his character. If your own people are not affected by what they say they believe, then how can it even be true? How can you even be real? Well, and I think a part of it is because we we like to, as the church, sometimes project an image that we are perfect. And deconstruction... <gasps> I never do that. Ever. <laughs> no, I'm a train wreck, so I have a hard time projecting anything other than just a mess. But, um, <laughs> but deconstruction really values authenticity. And so does scripture. <laughs> like, so I feel like we, we can be more authentic about our mess. And that's, I think, a good place to meet people who are in this... Um, this path on this path of deconstruction is like we can we can engage with authenticity and that yeah we have both felt pain let's talk about it we can be and we have to be yes like for the glory of God and the, for the protection of each other we have to be think about it if if all that we teach our children and one another is Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and he believed God and yeah. it was credited him as righteous and you don't talk about Sarah and giving her away twice, you guys. This man is crazy. Or Hagar. Or Hagar. If you don't talk like, about those things, yeah. who is the hero of scripture? Yeah. Abraham. 100%. Yeah. If we don't talk about the ways that we are not getting it and the ways that we are struggling, even, even though we're committed to pressing into our faith, who becomes the hero? I don't want to be the hero of my kid's story mm -hmm. because one day that house of cards is going to come tumbling down and it's going to make them wonder, can I trust God? Yeah. Is, is he who he says he is? Well, in deconstruction, they're always, they, they live on an unsh a shaky, sifting sand kind of foundation. And when suffering does come and when the pain point does happen, they have nothing to go back to. No. There's no rock. And so we need to learn our theology of suffering now so that when it does come, we have something we can go back to. And we also need God to be the same all the time. We cannot have new constructs of God every generation no. because that means that in my suffering, who, who am I going to, who is my God? I need the God who led the Israelites out of Egypt. That's the God that I need. I mm -hmm. need to have a good theology of suffering so that when that time does come, when I have the storm, that, man, I've got a foundation in mm -hmm. what I know about the Lord. Here's the lie. Yeah that we hear in our head. Mm -hmm. I can't be transparent, I can't let anybody know that I'm not perfect, or if I have these doubts or these questions, people are gonna judge me, mm -hmm. and our kids feel that way too. Yeah. So I mean, that's human nature. We, we never wanna appear less in people's eyes. We always wanna kind of appear more mm -hmm. in people's eyes. So the reality is, reality is, the more transparent you are, and, and appropriately so, you mm -hmm. can't tell everybody everything, yeah. But appropriately transparent, the more people are going to love you. That's the truth. That endears you. When Troy gets up here and says, you know, I'm not this and I'm not that, you know, whatever, that endears us to him. It doesn't make us think less of him at all. And yet we think that happens when we have an experience like that. Mm -hmm. And our kids think that way too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need yeah. to be honest that we are messy and that we are needy and that God meets us right where we are. We do not have to clean ourselves up for him. 
he will do that if we just receive him and follow him. Um, let's talk about church hurt, I think. Okay. <laughs> what would you like to talk about? <laughs> I think we should talk about church hurt because there is a difference between an unhealthy church um, where there are systems and no accountability for leaders and systems of abuse and where there is from the very top all the way to the very bottom, I mean, there's just unhealthy and toxic and abusive mm -hmm. stuff, and that's different than a healthy church. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to talk about wh what do we do with the unhealthy church, and then how do we work within a healthy church? Mm -hmm. I know you have some experience with that. If yeah. You, speak to it. you know, I um, going back to that panel, I think one of the things that we have to realize is when we're in a situation where we see unhealth in a church, and I'm not talking preference, I'm talking about a violation of God's word, abusive mm -hmm. structures or leadership, praise God, like I can, I can tell you joyfully as a pastor's wife here, that's not Grace Church, mm -hmm. and it's been a haven. Um, but I have, I've been in situations that um, took pieces of my soul that have taken a very long time to get back. Um, in one situation, I said nothing, and I deeply regret it. I held on for dear life because I was afraid of how it would impact our finances. And, you were young. Oh, yeah. You, you're afraid you won't be believed, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very costly. And then I was in a situation where um, I did speak up for myself, and it was still very costly, but I could put my head on the pillow that, you know, I was obedient to God's word, and prayerfully, it meant that more people wouldn't get hurt. Um, but when it comes to, to church hurt, one of the things that I, I want to say to you, if you've experienced this, whether like we've all, we've all seen things that happen in the distance, like what's going on with Hillsong right now. And, and then some of us have experienced things intimately where, you know, we've seen a leader fall or someone has abused us. Um, the thing that I want to say to you is that church can be a very comfortable place for charismatic unbelievers to find themselves in positions of authority. And so sometimes the hurt that we've experienced um, is truly demonic, mm -hmm. is truly from someone who is not filled with the spirit. And then sometimes we experience hurt from people that are filled with the spirit, but they're people. Mm -hmm. It's important for us to recognize the difference um, because in one case, you are praying for someone's salvation. And in the other, you're praying that they would be repentant and be reconciled to God. And those can be very different conversations. Um, but I will say, one of the hardest things for me has been to have enough humility to ask, how do I contribute to this situation? And how do I move on in forgiveness? Yeah. Um, my son cracks me up because he has a strong sense of justice, just like me, and it gets very warped when it's in his favor. And I'm like, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> Whoops. Um, and I can get so caught up on this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and here's what needs to be done, and here's what needs to be done. And I forget that the character of Christ is that he is the, the servant who emptied himself. That like a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. He didn't tolerate sin. But he was surrendered to the will of God and, and to the bride. Um, we all belong to the body. Yeah. We're going to hurt each other. But there's a difference between a church that 
um, is not a true church. It's being led by unspiritual leaders Completely. in unspiritual ways, and that we are to flee. Yes. We, we, we may, the Lord may call us to bring it to attention in a respectful way, but then you may flee. Yeah. But then there's the church, like, I know, just from this weekend, something I can't mention, but that someone in here is hurt from other believers within this church, and they're mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. Yeah. And, I mean, we hurt each other. And we have to take responsibility for ourselves. Yeah. And how might I be hurting someone else? Yeah. Um, where have I withdrawn and hurt someone? You said that recently. You were like, I am part of someone's church hurt story. Yeah. And that, that, like, that was a holy moment for me of like, oh. That's I've been so focused on how yeah. I've been hurt. I haven't ever considered, that's, like. Yeah. That's why we yeah. need to constantly be forgiving and apologizing and you know making peace reconciling as much as we can in the church oh yes I, I, I thankfully the Lord has sanctified me but not that I couldn't be part of someone's church hurt now but I think especially when I wasn't really following the Lord like I should have been um, before he really brought me to my knees and humbled me and turned me around um, I know I'm a part of someone's church hurt because of the ungodliness that was in my own heart that I know impacted other people. And that's been something that I have had to reconcile in my own heart and had to apologize to people for. Even now as an adult, like, I'm sorry I treated you that way when we were sophomores in high school. Mm. Like, that, that was wrong. And so I think there does, it starts with us, right? Yes, like, we need does. to take responsibility for yeah. what we could be doing to someone else. Yeah, I, yeah. I had an instance where um, a, a woman be, just really wanted me out of her life. Mm -hmm. And I found out it was because she didn't get the support from me when she was going through a crisis that she wanted. Mm. And um, I just let her have it at me. So I sat for about two hours and she just dug into me. Yeah. And I, I really, I just thought, Lord, I, humble me, yeah. humble me. I'm so sorry. And we still don't have a relationship. I mean, yeah. that's church hurt. I mean, I, that, I as a Christian, mm -hmm. I was her leader. I hurt her because I wasn't there for her. Yeah. And I would say just because the church has hurt you doesn't mean that the church is disqualified. Exactly. And I think that There's is a lot the of lie. individuals yeah. things going on here. You and, don't put the church in that category. Well, and that's the lie that I think people who have gone down this path of deconstruction are at is they're believing a lie that we've done the church has done something and now they're disqualified but I know another huge category that's a part of why people are going down this path <coughs> of deconstruction is doubt mm -hmm. and so we want to talk about that yeah a lot of doubts mm -hmm. um you know what I love to have women who are doubting come and want to learn I, that doubt is a precursor to learning mm -hmm. if you don't have questions you're not going to be a very effective learner. So don't be afraid if you've got questions and doubts. How we handle them is a different thing. Yeah. If we handle them with like, it just can't be true because I can't resolve this in my own head. If you could resolve every spiritual question you had, you would be God. So we're not going to. But you have to kind of be okay with some of that and ask the Lord, come to him, ask him the questions. New to Bible study. I was very new. And I said, Lord, how is it possible that we're saved by faith and yet there's this thing called good works? I couldn't get that resolved in my mind. I had never really studied scripture. It was like, 
plaguing me, I could have just walked out the door and said, forget it. This is way too, this just doesn't make sense to me. It's like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, whatever. But I hung in there and I mm -hmm. kept studying and kept studying. And I saw God, you know, year after year of my study, revealing me to me those questions and those answers as I went along. Most importantly, as I got to know him. Yeah. Funny thing is, the more intimate you are with Christ, the more you know God, your questions have a tendency to fall away. Hmm. Because again, remember the rule number one, you go back to who God is. When you know who God is, through a lifetime of seeking him, a lot of those questions just take care of themselves. So, but you have to humble yourself, go to the book, go to the Bible, go to a good Bible study. Um, I just love the illustration of Thomas. Remember Thomas, the disciple Thomas? Well, he missed out on a gathering where the Lord resurrected, appeared to the 11 disciples. Mm -hmm. He missed out. And so he says, I'm not going to believe that he's risen from the dead unless I put my hands in his side and feel the, you know, the wounds on his wrists. Disciples meet again. In comes the Lord, the risen Lord appears before them, and Jesus goes up to him and approaches him directly. Mm -hmm. Says, put your hands here. Put it here. Now do you believe? Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. Yeah. And he met Thomas in his unbelief, in his questions, in his doubts. Yeah. He met him. He came right to him, met that need. And then you know what Thomas said? He said, my Lord and my God. That's the biggest, most all-inclusive um, announcement of who Christ is in Scripture up to that point. Yeah. From Thomas, the doubter. Well, and I think part of that, too, is now that we live in TikTok culture and um, all of our information that we get is bite-sized and then 30-second mm -hmm. clips, we do not know how to engage with large texts like the Bible. And so as if you're disentangling in your mind and you're trying to sort through things, it might not be a quick 30-second answer. I know for me in my study of God's word and even this year doing Bible study, each week we questions are naturally answered, but it's going to take the whole study for them to get to some of those questions they had about Genesis 1 mm -hmm. because the Bible reveals itself and as you learn and as you grow, you learn more. So we also have to be really patient, put down the hammer, go through each lie meticulously that we are believing and figure out what we believe. And I think we're just out of practice with how to study the Bible Absolutely. with that kind of depth. Another mm -hmm. very important biblical principle is when you have doubts and questions is this. First, you believe, right? Mm -hmm. First, faith, and then you will see. Mm -hmm. We want to see everything, and we want all of our ducks in a row before we're going to take that leap of faith. Mm -hmm. It's not a leap of faith. No. It's you believe, you see enough, you know enough to believe and to declare faith. And then you will start to see all these pieces come together. Yeah. Yeah, I think a big part of it is understanding how to actually read your Bible. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of great resources on that that we could, that we could give you for sure. Um, Bible illiteracy is a big problem. It's a and big And it's one problem. of the major causes of this. Yeah, yeah, we don't know how to read a historical narrative and know, like, that if it's prescriptive or descriptive. It's and huge. that stuff is really important to understanding um, and just answering those questions. But I also don't think we know how to read the Bible as authoritative. And I feel like that's that's been a key thing for me. And I think 
with people that I know who have deconstructed is that the Bible is an add-on. It's something where I can pick certain things that I like from, and we don't read it as an authority. And I think that this thinking really comes actually from Freud. Um, Freud said that neurosis or feeling unhappy is the result of repressed desires. And I think the impact that we are seeing of that now is that we do not want any external authority. We only want internal authority. And I think that's partly why deconstruction just overvalues uh, or values authenticity over authority. And so that's, that's where they're coming from with this, with this whole argument and their ethics then and the way that they interpret scripture, the way that they deal with those really challenging parts of scripture um, is from themselves. Yeah. It comes from their internal authority. Mm -hmm. And we have to have compassion for these these people, I say these people like I haven't been one of them, <laughs> because when you've been hurt mm -hmm. by the church, when you've been hurt by someone that claims the name of Christ, it's so easy for us to get to this place of nobody is safe. I'm the only safe one. Mm -hmm. And just to retreat inward and inward and inward until you become your own authority. Um, so it's good for us to recognize that it is very easy to put your foot on that path. It's not something that happens to stupid people. Mm -hmm. It's something that happens to vulnerable people. And, and one of the things that protects us from being vulnerable is truly that personal relationship with God. Um, that's what shores us up when his children are naughty. <laughs> yeah. And something that you have said so many times that I love is that the Bible can stand up to scrutiny. A hundred percent. And so you question, you can doubt, and the Bible will come through every single time. And so we have that assurance. And there's something that Mary Cassian said that I just always go back to and I just love so much, is that sometimes you have to believe that the Bible is true before you believe that it's good. And so we need to start sometimes with, okay, what can I figure out here that is true from God's word? And I think sometimes the goodness and understanding why it's good will follow later. But having that like, yeah, the Bible is true and that it can hold up to scrutiny is a key part of all Absolutely. of this. And the doubts, I think, come out of those two factors. Like, is this true, what I'm reading in the Bible? Is the Bible even true? And then is it good? I mm -hmm. think most doubts can fit into those two kind of categories. And often it's aimed not just at the Bible, but at God. For sure. Mm -hmm. Is God true and is God good? Mm -hmm. He allows A, B, C, D. How can God be good? And this God of the Old Testament, I want nothing to do with him. I kind of like Jesus, but I want nothing to do with the God of the Old Testament. Spoiler alert, it's the same person. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there was a year that I taught in Bible study fellowship that you took most of the Old Testament. It was exhausting. But after going through all that, and a lot of it was about Israel falling, judgment, getting back on their feet, falling, judgment, falling, judgment. I came across that year with the God of the Old Testament saying, you are so merciful. I would have zapped those people centuries ago. Mm -hmm. uh, they say that because they don't know the God of the Old Testament and they don't see Jesus in the Old Testament and that mercy and grace. So Bible illiteracy, immaturity of faith, and spiritual warfare can be a problem as well. Mm -hmm. Remember, we have an enemy, and he can get in there and put little thoughts in your head. Did God um, really say? Yeah, exactly. He book. will undermine... Um, but remember that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Ask mm -hmm. yourself, is this from God, this thought? Do I need to keep going over this thought, or should I reject this right out? I reject it. When I feel something like, oh, that, you know, just a little passing thought. Oh. Um, 
say, I reject that. I'm not going to receive that mm -hmm. because that can be the enemy. Well, we've got a limited amount of time here, gals, and we've got a lot more areas to cover. We wanted to talk about um, some moral issues, some cultural things that are going on now as well. Ashley, you wanted to make a few comments, I think, on yeah, that line. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's important for us to understand is, okay, where has this deconstruction movement come from? Mm -hmm. um, this is something that has, has been um, particularly heartbreaking for, for me and my husband because a, a lot of the deconstruction movement or progressive Christianity is right in our backyard in Nashville, the people who are writing songs for the church. Mm -hmm. uh, the man who wrote, Oh, Praise the Name. Like, think about the theological richness of that song. Completely abandoned the faith. How does someone write something that beautiful that's the gospel start to finish and go, yeah, I don't believe it anymore. Um, so progressive Christianity really uh, was birthed out of a church in Nashville um, under the teachings of men like Rob Bell and Richard Rohr. And I say those names intentionally because I want you to be careful mm -hmm. who you're listening to. Mm -hmm. um, very persuasive men, um, but don't know the God of the Bible. Um, and so often what happens, we're seeing with these creative types, like, right, like high, high, high feelers, um, whether it's doubts, whether it's church hurt, uh, whether it's um, pain or suffering, suddenly the feelings aren't there anymore and the whole house of cards uh, falls with it. So Alisa Childers, if you're familiar with her, she has an amazing podcast that I recommend, actually came out of this church. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, the whole time I've listened to her podcast, I'm like, it's got to be this one. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's got to be this exactly. one. Uh, because this church has had a lot of sway yes. and a lot of momentum. Um, so what you have now are people who seem to have authority as former believers going, well, look at me. I wrote this song. Mm -hmm. Look at me. I worked for this church. Look at me. I did these things. They already almost, have a following. I mean, almost a reversal of mm -hmm. what we see. You know, Jesus says there will be people who say, but Lord, I did all of these things. They'll say, depart. They're, they're using it now in this life mm -hmm. to go, this is why you should believe me that these things aren't yeah. true. Um, so what's happened in the progressive Christian movement is that because this particular group of people has a lot of clout because of what they have done for the church, that following has led many, many people astray. Because as Delaney said, it's a movement of questions, right? All of these challenging starter questions, but none of the authority, none of the theology that accompanies them. And so what, what progressive Christianity ultimately teaches is that creation progresses and God progresses with his creation. That means as creation changes, God changes. As truth God changes, changes creation changes. changes, absolutely. And so it's really a very accommodating belief system because no matter where I'm at, kind of how Jacques Derrida describes it, no mm -hmm. matter what generation's thought is most prevalent, that gets to be the truth. Um, and so we've seen this, this impact on culture. Most progressives believe in universalism. Um, so interfaith, all faiths are going to heaven. All faiths essentially believe in the same thing. They're just different paths to God. Um, and what's interesting is a lot of this group is pretty disillusioned with the American church mm -hmm. and how, you know, we've got our Bible wrapped in an American flag. And yet this is probably one of the most political groups of people that, that I've ever seen. Yeah. Highly, highly involved in conversations about politics surrounding the LGBTQ plus crowd, around race, around gender and inclusivity in those areas. Um, and what's really interesting is you can see the fingerprints of God on these people mm -hmm. as, they, as they 
push for what they believe is just. You know, it's just that they've been deceived, and so now that they're on a completely different path. Um, God cares about how we connect as a church racially and as different genders and different socioeconomic backgrounds. He cares about those things, but it's not our identity. Um, and I would say that that's a key differentiation in progressive, progressive Christianity and, and how it's impacted us. Um, it's, it's created silos that are supposed to stay connected, whereas Christianity, we see ourselves as one in Christ. Yeah, and then you add social media to that, and then it explodes. Because now you can find a community that has the same questions or the same kind of hurt, and you can find a community on social media, and then they all kind of stay together. I mean, if you look at, like, hashtag exvangelical, hashtag deconstruction, hashtag Christianity, or um, ex-Christianity, some hashtag like that, just look them up, um, then you will see that they are creating communities based off of their doubt. And so I think that they're finding... Um, better community or like they're being heard maybe more in these communities than in the church, mm -hmm. which is such a lie. But I think it's such a challenge to us too of like we can also be that place for them to come, bring those those hard questions, bring their issues that they have, these moral issues, yeah. these social justice issues, that we can talk about those here in the church and we can use the Bible to inform what we think of all of that. And I also think they they think that Christians are way behind in social justice. I mean, even the term progressive, think about that term. Yeah. That means that they are far more ahead than anybody else. Right. It's, it's, very, it's very elitist. Yeah, it's C.S. Lewis says it's uh, chronological snobbery, mm -hmm. even, even in the name. And so, I mean, a huge part of that is that they don't know historically that Christianity has always been on the forefront of protecting People protecting women, protecting children has always been on the Health, forefront. Health, education, oh all of that. Oh my goodness! Who started the, the hospitals? Right. Basil. Mm -hmm. Basil, right. Basil mm -hmm. started a bunch of hospitals in the Roman Empire. I mean, during the Roman Empire, when women were treated horribly, horrifically, and babies, mm -hmm. female babies, would be cast out into the river to die, because that is how little they valued women. Christians would adopt those babies, mm -hmm. and so Christians have always been at the forefront historically of protecting people, have always been at the forefront of social justice, have always been at the forefront of um, intellectualism and having hard conversations. I mean, if you look in the patristic era of all of uh, our church fathers like Augustine or Tertullian, they were... Oh, sorry, you just said patriarchy. I got really no, triggered. No, patristic. I said patristic. <laughs> we can talk about that, though, if you want. I got a lot on that. No. I kid. Uh, different breakout. <laughs> An outbreak. Okay. Um, they, they were all writing and collecting all of these verses and creating doctrine to fight heresy. And so Christians have always been at the forefront of intellectualism, of social justice, of having these hard conversations. And what progressive Christians or people who are deconstructioning, if they're telling you that they're not, they're lying. And you can look back on church fathers and you can see. Well, and what do we what see say. on social media? You, you, uh, whenever I see these side-by-side -side videos, I'm like, God bless it. You pick the dumbest Christian to do this side-by-side -side video with. Like it's always someone who like knows nothing about the Bible. Yeah. I'm like, I yeah. love you, but no. Um, and that's what's happened in the American church, right? We see this in the era of Constantine. When it's mm -hmm. good to be a Christian, everybody yeah. wants to be one. And so then you've got people that are parroting things about Christian living that they don't, they don't know anything about. There are intelligent people that know the Bible, who live the Bible, and they have answers. 
because God has given us answers. And so very often there's an intellectual dishonesty with progressive Christianity yeah. where, you know, they're not calling up Troy Dobbs and asking him this question. They're yeah. calling Joe Schmo off the street and he's like, mm, I don't yeah. know. They'll, I've listen, been going to to another, I they'll listen to another podcast. <laughs> For and this sure. is where anti-intellectualism <laughs> is coming into play. We, we take all of our information from some podcaster I, not us. Don't do that. Everybody else. Out? <laughs> Don't no, but we will take our information from them, but, you know, like on health and science and stuff like that. But we won't go to the true scientists and we yeah. won't go to the true medical community who has, you know, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on their education yeah. and has spent years studying it all. And yet we're going to listen to somebody who, you know, is sitting around in his pajama pants telling us how to live. Oh, oh my historical theology professor has nailed into me the importance of primary texts. Go to the Bible if you have a problem with the Bible. That's right. your primary text. Right. Stop listening to somebody else who's talking about the Bible. Go to the Bible, read, read it for yourself and see what it has to say. But I mean, Christians have always been in every sphere of influence, like for generations since the beginning of time, they have helped shape art, architecture, language. I mean, Bible translating helps shape our modern language. And so it's just not true that Christianity is anti-intellectual, but I think part of that thinking comes from we think religion is something that is merely helpful, not something that is true. Mm. And so we, we're taking pieces of religion that we think will fit and will help us and are a great little guide accompanying us into life instead of thinking that they're authoritative and they're true. Mm -hmm. When convenient. When convenient. Um, another piece of this that I think we should talk about that deconstructors really grapple with and I think we all have grappled with, is health. Is what? Hell. Hell. Yeah. That's Why? a big one. Yeah, because... <clears throat> God's skeleton in his closet. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the whole question of why would God, why would God allow this? And there's such a misunderstanding around the character of God because when you understand the character of God and how grace-filled he actually is to allow any of us to be saved, then you can understand hell, but... What would you guys say, like, for people who are listening or who know people who are deconstructing, who are really having a hard time with the concept of hell, what would you guys say? I would say the gospel, the Bible, is all about God's rescue mission from hell. Mm -hmm. And that he sent his only son to die a horrific death on our behalf to take us out of hell, which is a, an absence, a total absence of God. Mm -hmm. Think about that. I mean, and it's a place of suffering and pain. And he doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for us. That is not what his, his intention is to have all come to him. He would love that. But it's not the way that life is made right now. I, I really think um, Jesus, this is a quote, Jesus deconstructs hell's dominion on earth. Hmm. Uh, that to me is powerful. Yeah. I think we just get our thinking wrong when we start thinking about hell. If God is a just God, there will be consequences for rejection of him. Mm -hmm. There will be consequences for that. And it's chosen by the individuals. Yeah. No one is sending to hell. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's a very sobering topic, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. And it's talked about, and Jesus talked about hell. It is truth. Mm -hmm. And there's no need to cover it up. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ashley, what would you say? <sighs> Explain to hell so, to us, would you? Just a softball there. <laughs> I think if you're struggling with the concept of hell, um, join, join the club. 
Yeah. You do yeah. not need to be afraid that it's hard to understand. What it is, though, is a revelation that I'm thinking like me. I'm not thinking like God. Mm-hmm. And I get a glimpse of how God feels about sin when I'm sinned against or when someone hurts one of my children. I suddenly have a very clear view of justice and, um, and what is right. I just don't want it for me. <laughs> I'm a yeah. hypocrite. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want the consequences of my actions. I just want them for everybody else. Um, the thing that I personally retreat to, I don't know if this resonates with a great many of you, but um, you know where Delaney is the, the church history nerd, I'm the uh, archaeology nerd. Like the oh. findings about the Bible, the preservation of the Bible, the, the things that authenticate the, the truth of the Bible and the history of the resurrection. No intellectual can say there isn't something magnificently special about this book mm-hmm. that has endured through generations. I mean, for my goodness, finding Isaiah 53, the, the testimony of the Savior in the Dead Sea Scrolls where God's people reject that he is their Messiah, you can't make that stuff up. And so I just have to keep going back to, I may not like it, but that doesn't mean it's, it's not true. Yeah. And so David asks the Lord, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. When I interact with things that I don't like, you know, I, I had a whole new revelation going through Genesis again. I'm like, oh, I just really don't like this Hagar part. Mm-hmm. I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't like it. What do I do with it? Um, I, have, I have to stick to the foundational truth that God is real, this book is true, and I may not understand it, but I can trust that what he does is good. And he's the only one that gets to. Mm-hmm. I, I have no merit of my own. I have created nothing. Um, so when I'm asking those questions, it's, it's ultimately, and it's very hard for me to admit because I'm great at justifying myself. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I don't know who I am. I'm, I am putting myself in God's place. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I would not run it better than he does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Delaney, we, we were going to have you share some on the soils. Do you want to just kind of tell us the four types of soils uh, quickly? I, we're kind of, our time is ticking here. And also yeah. just kind of a, a, a takeaway from that that could help mm. us in this subject. Yeah, I think the last category of people who are deconstructing um, is that this is apostasy. Apostasy mm. really has two definitions. Um, the first would be like, the person who is falling away from key doctrines of Christianity and believing things that are heretical, but still saying that they are a Christian. And the second definition of apostasy would be um, the person who has just totally blatantly rejected Christ. Um, and so those would be people I think about like atheism, um, agnostics, people like Stephen Hawking who say there is no God, um, or people like Richard Dawkins who writes things like the God delusion. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we can kind of think about apostasy. Jude gives tons, um, tons of markers of apostasy that I would really encourage you to look at. And Matthew 13 gives us really great imagery into understanding apostasy um, that I would encourage you to look at. And basically it's it's Jesus sowing the seed of the gospel onto four different um, terrains that represent four different heart responses to the gospel. And so if you look at each um, different terrain and what happens to the seed, you will see um, that apostasy can fit in different categories. There are the blatant rejectors, 
of um, the gospel, the ones who hate God, whose hearts are hard. Um, people, yeah, like atheism, agnostics. There's also uh, people that I would call like the culture Christians that come from the seed going um, into some soil that they think it's they think the seed's going to sprout, but when the sun of suffering comes, these people's faith has just it doesn't it doesn't work because it shows the reality of their faith is as really shallow. These would be the people I think that are like the culture Christians, um, a lot of like famous podcasters and 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 speakers and all that. I think would fit into that category. Um, then you also have the worldly Christians, and that comes from the thorny. Um, the thorny terrain, where these are the ones where they have the chokehold of consumerism on them, and it chokes out their understanding of their need for the gospel. Um, and I would say that these are really the wolves in sheep's clothing. These are the ones where you get um, lots of prosperity gospel, and um, really just valuing the world over um, over Christ. And then we have the good soil, where the farmer makes the soil good, and so the seed. Um, sprouts and produces fruit abundantly and we know from scripture that Jesus um, is the one who the Holy Spirit prepares our heart for the gospel and then the gospel is able to take root in our heart and we can believe it and understand it and so the good soil is the one who's the people whose eyes are opened and they understand the gospel and they see their need for the gospel so I would encourage you to look at Matthew 13 it helps us just really understand apostasy um and, you know, even with all these different types of apostates, um, there's common threads. These people are spiritually dead, and they are lost, and this is something that we need to be really prayerful over. And I think in my experience um, with deconstruction, these are the people that I know are the ones who have um, professed Christ, and they do not really believe Christ because when they suffer, um, that has been made clear, what mm -hmm. they really think about the gospel and about Christ. So. Mm -hmm. This parable, though, can make you question your security as mm -hmm. your salvation. Yeah. You know, am I this? Am I that one? Am I this one? Um, but no, if you have sincerely confessed Christ into your life, Scripture's very clear. I have four different passages marked here. I'm not going to read them all on security. But I will read you from uh, John 5, verse 24. Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, circle that, has mm -hmm. eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Mm -hmm. And there's many passages here. Um, you set yourself up for having this kind of deconstruction sneak into your life when you don't have the assurance of your salvation. Mm -hmm. And you can have insurance, assurance of your mm -hmm. salvation. Insurance, I guess it's insurance. <laughs> insurance. Assurance. That works. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, this leads us into what can we do as a church? Like... For the woman who is maybe, you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know if I really believe this. I have a lot of questions that need answered. Maybe your, your, um, your sibling or your spouse is going through this or maybe your child. What can we do as a church? <laughs> There's a lot of things, yeah. but what can we do? Yeah. I would say get a mentor. Mm -hmm. You know, come alongside someone who is um, more mature in the faith than you get into a private setting if you if you feel you can't ask these questions in your bible study or wherever you are get there find someone to answer your questions they're there mm -hmm. they're there for you so don't go it alone um grace has a mentoring ministry here if you want that write that on your little form uh, that you're going to see at the end of the night at the end of the day here and write that on there i'm interested in being mentored write it down mm -hmm. at any age 
You're 80, you want to be mentored, you still got questions. Say you want to be mentored. Um, we all need someone 10 steps ahead. I always said to myself, I want somebody 10 years ahead of me helping me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have always had neighbors, friends in the church uh, who were 10 years ahead of me. So a mentor can help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think being a safe place to ask questions. I mean, you think about how the Lord dealt with Abraham in Genesis when he questioned the covenant that he established with Abraham. The Lord dealt really gently with him. Mm -hmm. And so that is how we are to deal with others who are also asking those questions is be a safe place for them to ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The thing I would add, um, I was on like a spiritual high and, and then we studied Galatians. And you guys, I... I it was so hard for me. It was so hard going through Galatians because I, I believed every word of it. I just, I couldn't make the leap that it was true for me. Like, Lord, I believe that it is by grace I have been saved and I don't have to work for it. I, I believe that here, but in my heart, like it just feels like it's true for other people and it's not true for me. And so I cried like every Bible study day during Galatians because I just felt like I was in agony mm -hmm. and I got tired of being in agony. So then it was the summer. I'm like, I'm just going to go to the lake every day. I'm not even going to think about this yeah. anymore. It's too hard. And I'll tell you what I've had to do. I don't know if any of you went through this, but COVID, there was so much gaslighting on what's true and what's conspiracy and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, oh, I, can't, I don't believe anything anymore. I have had to rehearse the truth that if, if this book is true and it is, that God promises his spirit to his daughters. Mm -hmm. And we can be trained by his word and we can be trained by his spirit. We need a mentor. We need a safe place to ask questions. But you can also sit right in your home. You can read that word. You can ask God to give you understanding and the power to obey it. And he will respond. Mm -hmm. That is in accordance with his will. Mm -hmm. You can do that. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> you can do that until you feel strong enough to not just go to the lake every day and get a mentor. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's part of wrestling with God's word. Yes. It is something to be wrestled with and that's a that's a good thing. That that builds a more robust faith. Yes. Yeah. Take the initiative. Do what you need to do not to doubt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're we're cursing our doubts and our questions and we're cursing the wrong thing. We really should be looking at ourselves. Mm -hmm. Why aren't I taking the initiative I need um, to do something about that? Well, we did want to share some personal examples. Can yeah. we briefly do that? Delaney, you want to start? Yeah, I think I have, I just wanted to share about my experience with the church. Um, my testimony has really been characterized a lot by pain. Um, and the Lord has had to bring me to my knees several times. And I consider that truly his mercy. Mm. Um, and... As you know, I am a single mom, and when I found out I was pregnant, I was very, very concerned um, how my church would respond, this church. I was concerned that I would be judged, I was concerned that I would be an outcast, that I would be like some black sheep that they would throw in the corner and they didn't know what to do with me. And, you know, on top of that, being a pastor's kid, I mean, I just, it, it was unfathomable, the, the feelings that I was experiencing and the hurt and regret and the shame and just worried what the church would do. And I can tell you that when I told my parents and I told my church that I was pregnant, they totally wrapped their arms around me 
There's a quote that I love that says, when you hit rock bottom, God is the rock at the bottom, and he was that for me. But we also know that part of God being our rock is that our, the church is our rock too. Mm-hmm. And the church was my rock in that time. And not only uh, spiritually and emotionally, but physically too. I mean, I didn't have to buy diapers for probably a year. I mean, they gave me baby showers. There was, people were taking me out for coffee and telling me that I should not feel any shame. The love that I experienced from the church was just such a testimony to the grace of God and that these people do believe the gospel. And I think that that is not the narrative that we always hear, but that narrative is what happens in the church. Mm -hmm. And when the church is functioning the way it should, um, and when the church is being the church, that is what happens when someone comes who is in a broken situation. And then I also, you know, as a single parent, I have had families in the church really fill in the gap for me and for my son. Um, I think about families like the Kinsels, um, and the Lawsons and the Aronsons who have shown my son what it's like to have sibling relationships and to see marriages that um, are healthy and gospel-centered. And the church has filled in those gaps for my family. And so, um, yeah, this is just why I love the church. And mm-hmm. it has been such a picture of Christ's love for me and for my child. Thank yeah. you, Delaney. Mm-hmm. I think I'll share mine next. I want you to, to go last. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, We were sitting at Thanksgiving 2023, and we were sharing around our table, and one of my sons said, yeah, I stopped going to church for two years. (laughs) I never knew this. I thought they were all just walking with Christ their entire life. I did not know this. And he said to me, yeah, when our pastor had infidelity, I just, I became... Um, you know, just afraid of what every, any Christian was going to be saying, and I didn't want to expose myself to that anymore. It, was, it seemed like a lot of lies and a lot of ego. And so he, the first two years of his college life, once be known to me, he did not go to church. And then when he decided that he um, wanted to go back to church, that he, he went back to a church that was a rather a more liturgical church, because he wanted something very different from evangelical. That's how he became, you know, almost hardened to the church because of what happened. That's that church hurt there Mm -hmm. that happened to him. Um, So the skepticism was there as well, he said. He needed to work through his faith as well. And he didn't talk to me about it. And he didn't talk to his dad. We had no clue what he was going through. So... I think that those are some critical, vulnerable years, those early college years of where they're going to question. You'll be happy to know he's, you know, very vital in his church he's a part of. He's raising his kids in the Lord and um, generously gives to so many causes. So it was, it was a time in his life, and he came out of it. He, he deconstructed enough to, he wanted to get rid of the, the, all the, the big show that he saw at evangelicalism and get back to worshiping God. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. What about you, Ashley? Oh, man. Which one do I want to pick? <laughs> it's been crazy, you guys. I feel like I'm like 100 in ministry years, kind of like a dog is, yeah, yeah, yeah. in human years. Yeah, the more hurt. I'm only 36, but it's been a long journey. Um, you know, uh, a couple years ago, my husband and I were serving at a church, and um, 
just systematically started to see some, some character issues with our pastor. Um, things like abusing finances, um, things like uh, having private meetings with heads of personnel committees and making himself a de facto member of every committee so he had control of the church. Um, and then we found out he was essentially going to sell our campus to, to give himself a golden umbrella in retirement. And uh, this, this church we had just loved, I mean loved, of like 150 people and labored over, it was just going to be gone. Um, and uh, just harsh, harsh leadership. I remember one day coming off the platform, we were in, um, we were in 1 Samuel. And he said, listen, everybody that raised their hand against God's anointed, they all died. I'm just reading the text, folks. And we all knew that he was talking about those of us in the church who were trying to hold him accountable. Um, and the church split. That pastor was pushed out and took everything the church had as a result. The NDAs came out. And I, I did not sleep. I cried constantly. And I thought, maybe this will be the, the point of change. You know, maybe something, like, really beautiful will be birthed from this. Um, it, it only caused more division. I can remember leading worship and literally seeing people, you know, this far away with, from me, looking me dead in the eye with their ears plugged. And so I became highly anxious. I got to where I didn't want to sing anymore. Or if I did, I just kept my eyes closed. I had an 11-page paper written about me and, and how, uh, you know, the fact that I, I worked for a direct selling company made me just a terrible candidate for a pastor's wife. I mean, it was just, it was just the worst of the worst that you could see from the church. Um, and? But I have two, <laughs> I have two women who are here today, actually. I have my mom who was there with me through it. And I have two women who were with me through that whole situation. And I'm going to tell you, like all the church hurt in the world, you can endure when people who really believe what they say mm -hmm. live it out and who stand with you in the gap and who don't quit on you and who are the hands and feet of Jesus to you. Sometimes that's all you need to get through it is someone who's a little bit further in their sanctification, mm -hmm. a little bit further in their maturity, who's going to stand by you and go, we're with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're with you. Where the ears are plugged, we're going to raise our hands. Where the letters are writ written, we're going to rip them up. And so church hurt makes us want to run away from the church, but I'm going to tell you, we are a gift to one another. Yeah, don't isolate. We are a gift mm -hmm. to one another. Mm -hmm. You just got to find the safe people, and they're there. Yeah. Well, we wanted to close this time with giving you a moment to pray, because I know someone has come to mind, or you might be feeling differently about your own faith, Sometimes it's not uncommon to start Bible studies, start coming to church, and to really even question, am I even saved? Hmm. This might be a time where you want to just firm it up with the Lord. I'm going to go by faith first. I'm going to believe you in Christ and your salvation, and then I'm going to step forth, and I'll get my questions answered. So you might want to do that. You might want to be praying for that freshman and sophomore in college. Who knows what's going on in their head? You might want to pray for someone you know who's got a lot of church hurt. Mm -hmm. You might want to pray for your young children that they won't have to deconstruct 
that they'll have the answers and God will give you the wisdom you need to raise them. Mm. Let's pray. Into your presence we come, O oh God. And you can see in our heart and in our minds what's heavy on us right now. Picture us putting that heaviness in our hands. And now, Lord, we lift it up to you and we see you seated on high in all your glory, ruling where nothing is too hard for you, mm -hmm. where you see all things, you know all things, and you are a good God who can work things for good. So, Father, we bring this burden, we bring this situation, this person, we bring our hearts in faith and trusting in a good, good God who can even handle deconstruction, mm -hmm. who can even handle all the false voices, Lord. And sometimes that just helps truth to be more clear. So use that. Use this movement, Lord, that is undermining so many people's faith. Use it for good and for your purposes. And it's in Christ's name we've prayed. Amen. 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 Thank you, sisters, for listening to She's Becoming. You are dismissed. Thank you.